0: Welcome to the podcast, the destination for insightful discussions and interviews on the appreciation, conservation, and husbandry of reptiles, with a focus on turtles and tortoises. Now, let's join our team of turtle nerds.
1: Is he there? Oh, hey. (laughs) hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, We're having a little bit of a technical difficulty with Anthony right now, but this is a really cool episode because we are with a big part of the other side of Anthony's life, which is his professional uh, side of his uh, life, and this is the veterinarian that he works closely with. Here he is. Here he is. He's back, right? We have you? Do we have you now? I think we do. Oh, we have him. I was just introducing, and I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, this
0: is fun. I should have just stayed off and let it happen.
1: It was going pretty good, you know.
0: I was having technical difficulties. It happens to the best of us.
1: It does, it does, okay. but I, I had your back, just so you know.
0: How far did you get, did, are, are you done, is she introduced?
1: I was, I was just about to introduce her, so now you can
0: take over. Awesome, awesome. There you go. So th- this <laughs> is a surreal moment. So forgive me if I'm out of breath, and if you hear my dog barking, because my 350 pound self just bounded through my house to the other <laughs> end of the house. To check all of the cables to make sure that I had internet, so we're good. So if you see me sweating, if I sound like big pun with a hot dog over here, that's, that's how I'm feeling. Okay, so this is this is just exciting. You'll see. I don't know if you if you follow me on social media at all. You'll see I made more posts about this one than than probably any because I was just so excited. Because, and 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 you guys don't necessarily know, but. Dr. Green, Dr. Diva Malinowski Green is, she is what's good about the world. And this is one of those episodes where we get really excited to be able to to bring someone to our audience who you likely have not heard about, but that you should hear about. And and that's a really cool thing that we're able to do with our platform. So I'm really excited about that today. And, And it's really weird for me because it's two worlds coming together, right? I have this for me, if I can just make this about me for a moment, because I always do. So um, <laughs> we have the turtle world and the reptile world, um, which obviously we're very involved in the guys on this show. Um, and then we have my professional world with VCA and the veterinary world in the Northeast here. And um, Dr. Green, you're such a big part of that. And you are like my favorite person among favorite people. You are just top notch and I'm so excited to have you here. So thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) I hope you don't mind compliments because they're coming your way. Just saying. Oh
2: my goodness. (laughs) I know
0: it's kind of a big deal.
1: It gets awkward. He gives very awkward compliments.
0: I don't care. I will will look you right in the eye and this goes for all of you. Even you, Kevin. (laughs) Even you. I will look you right in the eye and tell you how much you mean to me. So just be ready for that, okay? And if you watch the show, you know that. Yes, I can be a pain in the butt, particularly to Kevin, but um, I also, yeah. Anyway, so so welcome, welcome. Um, you know, the two worlds coming together. One of the things about social media that is really good, even though we obviously complain about social media as being the bane of our existence. I had a, a post the other day that I made, and I had... Job Stumpel, who is a veterinarian in Europe, talking to a vet tech from Hamden, Connecticut, who I know, and like they were talking about a turtle. I thought this is the coolest thing ever. This conversation is happening because I exist. It's a really cool thing. So that's kind of what I want to do here. I think you are an awesome up and coming exotics veterinarian. Um, you have your own blog, Diva Off the Leash, which is really cool. And you have some really cool stuff on there. And um, yeah, so just I'm excited to try to get your, your you know, your brand and um, your style of doing things out to a, a broader audience. So thanks,
1: Anthony.
0: you're welcome. <laughs> you're really welcome. Hey,
1: thanks for clearing up how to say his name, by the way.
0: I always call him Job in my yeah, head because I did not it's know spelled that. J-O-B. Yeah, yeah but well, I think me it's, too. I think it's pronounced Job and it's probably like shtumpel or something.
1: Stumple, yeah.
0: I was just... Uh, very non knowledgeable. Job guy. Stump. He was <laughs> he, Yo, oh, all right. Maybe. yo Cool name. Not Yob. I said Yob. Yob. You're right. You're you're definitely Steve's always right. Just ask Steve. Don't talk to me, Chris. Just ask Steve. <laughs> Give me a break, man. <laughs> so um so Dr. Green, we've been through a lot together, you and I. Right? It yes. You've helped me with a lot of um, my own ailments, um, any of those stick out to you in, in your mind in terms of something that, uh, where you learned a lot or, um, where you were excited. You're always excited. We're, we're going to get into all of that. You're always excited to work with my animals, which makes me excited and makes me happy to collaborate with you. But any of those, um, in particular
2: I think the most recent case that you brought uh, to the hospital was probably the one where I've learned the most so far because we've done the most diagnostic workup. Um, right. So that was really uh, wonderful. And uh, most exotics that come my way, I'm not able to do a workup on sick patients because they are, um, <laughs> um, because I hear a dog, there's a, a lot dog of, read. yes, there is a dog right next to me. Sorry. <laughs> All right. You're um, a
0: veterinarian with a blog. You should have a dog <laughs> next to you at all times. Like you're, you're a Disney princess almost. Okay. <laughs> Continue.
2: Um. So. So a lot of times there is a lot of financial constraints um, around the um, diagnostic workup of exotic pets, and so um, that provides a lot of difficulty for me to kind of further my learning and further to do my job.
0: Who just made that comment in the chat? Was that Steve? Steve? I think it was Steve. Steve did that. He's making fun of me for how excited I am. <laughs> that was really good. Like I'm on my way to Hamburg to the reptile expo. That's what he. That's what he said. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's something I wanted to talk about. So thank you. you. Great segue right into what I wanted to talk about. The difficulty, the challenges of being an exotics veterinarian. Now you you are a DVM, so you're she's a doctor she's a veterinarian you're not a vet you're not a an exotic specialist which would be a board certified specialist who goes to school for like 3 years after becoming a doctor because everyone wants to do that you become a doctor and they're like I think I need to go and learn more crazy especially for exotics because and this is my main point when I'm going on this rambling uh, tangent is there's not a lot of money in exotics medicine. You really have to have a passion for it. Um, but and I think the reason for that is that a lot of people aren't willing. So, so they buy the animal and they're not willing to take the next step in terms of veterinary care. Is that what you see in your practice and, and um, your experience thus far?
2: that is definitely what I see. Um, I think that I also see, uh, like a neat, I don't have a niche area that is a high load of exotics either. And so it's hard to build a practice that is solely exotics because you just don't have enough exotics in the area to come and see you and fill an appointment book throughout the day. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I have a passion, I love animals. Um, but at the end of the day, you do need to be able to see animals to have a business. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of part of it as well, too. And that's part of some of the role I've gotten into as a medical director background is kind of running the business as well as trying to be a doctor. And that's not easy. But.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, there's so many different ways we can go with this. If you guys have <laughs> questions, jump in because I'm just going to keep rolling. All right. Go, go for it. I am just on a mission right now. Um, so. You mentioned have it, that you're a small animal practice. And just mm-hmm. so people know, the vast majority of exotics doctors who you're going to see, beside maybe a specialist who's at like the big emergency hospital, I can only think of one exotic specialist who, who works um, at an emergency hospital and then one other exotic specialist. Only two come to mind in all of Connecticut that are actually board certified specialists, just to let you know how few and far between they are. Um, maybe if you're like Dr. K or whatever that show was down in South Florida, then maybe there's enough exotics so that you're seeing a lot mm-hmm. of them, a lot more, Different um, area. but up here and, and for the most part, just in general, the, the people, people spend money on their dogs and cats and not to say that we're just in it for the money, but you know, you're a doctor, you went to school and, and your services cost something. And you're going to get way more people who are coming in with their Boston Terrier than are with those, their sulcata tortoise. Mm-hmm. People just kind of let them die and wonder why sort of thing instead of actually getting the work up like you talked about. <clears throat> um, what is that conversation like? Actually, I just brought myself to a question I wanted to ask. So recently I helped to rehome a sulcata tortoise that came through your practice. Now, mm-hmm. we don't, we're not saying names or anything like that. But if this person is watching, I apologize in advance. But I just want to kind of tease out, I doubt that they are, but you never know with social media and everything. I just want to kind of tease out what that's like because I don't think people realize the challenge that veterinarians are up against. Somebody comes in, they have an animal that obviously is struggling, on some level suffering because of husbandry. You can't just take their animal away. You can't make them spend money on the test that's going to give you answers. You can't make them have a bigger yard. So it's a really fine line that you have to w- walk as a doctor. Um, can you speak to that a little bit and, and make perhaps that um, experience specifically? Mm-hmm.
2: Um so I think it's really important to try to reaffirm uh, families when they come in with their pets, no matter what pet it is that they are doing a good job, because ultimately at the end of the day, they made the right decision by bringing their pet to an animal hospital. Um, and so they're looking to do the right thing. They're looking to get care. Um, and so that is that's really the important part. And so no matter how the problem came about, uh, they're there to fix it. And so it's just a matter of trying to work with them and work within whatever constraints they have, whether it be, um, constraints of their living environment, home constraints of financially, um, it, it doesn't matter, but it's my job to try to help to balance all of that and, and work with that to help achieve uh, the resolution of whatever problem it is that they came in for. Um, and, and again, that's pretty universal across all animals that come to see me. So, The sulcata tortoise that you're specifically referring to, um, that family did everything that they knew how, everything that they could have, um, and they ultimately decided that they could not provide the care that they wanted to. And so they reached out to, um, experts that knew where to appropriately rehome that animal. So that way it could go to a good place rather than just posting on social media and saying, you know, free tortoise to a good home. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that would not have been appropriate, but you know, we were between the two of us, we were able to find a, a great home, which was awesome.
0: Right. So, um, talking about that struggle, right. That, that, um, the difficulty in kind of having people do the right thing, not that not the sulcata, um, example, but just in general, right. And, and having that conversation, how about something that we touched on a few minutes ago, um, about having to kind of sell or promote or give value to veterinary services, um, that's struggle that, you know, like sticker shock, People mm-hmm. see the price of veterinary services and they want to run the opposite direction um, when what you're doing is really, you know, next level stuff. The the same type of medical care that a human would get, um, but there's not the same type of insurance and stuff like that. So things are just kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a leadership perspective, you mentioned you're a medical director. So um, just so everyone knows, a medical director is the boss of the doctors at a hospital. So you have a very you're at a very successful hospital, VCA Old Canal <clears throat> Animal Hospital in Plainville, Connecticut, my hometown, whoop, whoop, where I no longer live. Um, <laughs> great a great hospital and you have recently been promoted to medical director. Congratulations, CA. Thank you. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's great. That's absolutely wonderful. And um, yeah, so so burnout with staff in terms of we've been going through a lot with COVID and all the animal hospitals are doing curbside service and stuff like that. How do you support your team in, you know, remaining positive and being able to communicate value for the services we provide? That's a tough question.
2: That is a, a lot of things all in one question.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the podcast.
2: <laughs> so, so how about I, I start with how I, um, create value for the, the services that I'm offering. So I'll start with that question first. So if you remember um, any
0: of this and if you answer just one, I'm happy, but if you answer, one, if you answer a couple, then I'm
2: I do want to answer the other part of the question about how I motivate my staff. Cause I think mm-hmm. you might find that funny. So, um, awesome. <laughs> so anyway, creating value for the services that I'm offering. So, um, if I want to do blood work on a patient, so let's say a patient comes in, so, so your patient came in, um, the, the uh, tur- turtle that we were treating together came in, and so there was something wrong and we wanted to run blood work. And so if I tell a family that comes in, you know, I want to run blood work on your pet and it costs $300, you know, whatever that panel is, you know, and it could cost less or more, but I'm, I'm picking a random number. So that's a lot of money. And so what I need to tell them is that in that blood panel, I'm going to be looking at liver chemistries, kidney chemistries. Uh, I'm looking at electrolytes. I'm looking at the red blood cell counts, the white blood cell counts. I'm also looking at thyroid function, urine samples, fecal samples. And so when that's all inclusive in that panel that I just said blood panel for, you know, and so I, I shortened it to make it an easier conversation. But then when you go to elaborate on it, you have to tell them exactly what they're getting for that cost. And then it doesn't quite seem so, um, so expensive, maybe because they're, they're understanding that there's a lot of components that are part of that one blood panel. So, so that's really important. And when I'm training new doctors that come in, I try to help them to be able to do that. And so, again, we were uh, in school for so long, we were communicating with other doctors all the time. And so and then you have to transition your mind to be able to communicate with those that didn't go to veterinary or medical school. And so you have to try to speak to them in a way that they will understand what they're paying for. Um, and, And that's a key part of the job. Uh, if you can't do that, you're not going to be uh, able to treat the patients that are coming in. So um, it's, it's super, super important. So, that's, so that's, that's how I create value for what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. um, as far as how I choose to motivate my staff... For example, um, last week, yes, the weeks have been going on and on and on curbside service. It's been super hot here in Connecticut uh, recently, uh, really for the entire month of July, it's been terribly hot Um, and everyone comes in the door with the pets and they're sweating or it's pouring rain outside. It's, It's not great. So the past couple of mornings, I've been coming into the hospital, and I'll pick a song on my drive-in, a, a song that I it really motivates me and gets me moving and dancing in the morning. And so I'll walk in the building door, and I'll be playing the song really loudly on my phone, and I just start dancing and grooving, and I try to get the staff to dance with me. And that's how I try to motivate them in the morning <laughs> at 7.30. <You're> awesome. <laughs>
0: you have never seemed like such a dork as you did just then, but that's okay <laughs> <clears throat> i can only imagine what that looks like
1: i think that's great i'm gonna that, that,
0: that, that. is that is
1: great yeah it
0: is really cool right like a simple thing but that like goes a long way let's we'll start doing that
1: in the morning
2: <laughs> gotta I thought, have a little fun
0: <laughs> did you steal that from andy bernard on the office
2: no closing time no, every day at the end no. of the day? <laughs> I, I'm actually a huge Grey's Anatomy fan, and uh, I don't know if you know the main characters on there, Meredith and Christina. <laughs> they swear by their five-second dance parties, and so that's what I've started <laughs> to do as well. <laughs> but uh, ours try to last like more like a minute or two minutes, two-minute dance parties. <laughs>
0: right. That's really yeah. awesome. That's really cool. Um, So I can't help but... Think, all right, you have to forgive me. I was a social worker and I could never let that part of me go away, right? I'm a, I overanalyze people and, and situations and all that type of stuff. So I can't help as the father of two daughters, and Kevin has two daughters, and Chris has two daughters, and Steve has some cats. And <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Two of them are female, two of them are female, Uh, but I can't, (laughs) seriously, (laughs) three fourths of us have two daughters, Um, I feel myself sweating from that, that was funny, Um, so I can't help but just think of what an amazing role model you are for them. So, like, I was very happy before we came on live to have my six-year-old Cambria come and say hello to you and see if she remembered when she met you that time that you amputated my turtle's penis. Uh, So, um, that's a true story.
1: What is happening right now? That was. Yes,
0: that was. Yeah, that was a really rough moment. That was our turtle. Uh, Steve, Steve reminded me that that was our turtle that was uh, had its penis amputated. And um, she was there for that. She doesn't remember, probably for the better. But I do want her to know you. And um, because our working relationship means a lot to me. And I want her to see positive female role models in the world who are young, successful. Professionals and leaders. I think I'm going on a multifaceted question thing again, but um, you know, you're a leader and you're a people person, and you're a veterinarian, and those things don't always go together. Sometimes veterinarians are are brainiacs, but they lack the ability to really connect with people. Sometimes. And um, they also lack the leadership skills that it takes to lead a team effectively. So, anyway, um, again, I told you I was going to give you props, but can you speak a little bit to that? Like, as somebody who's so the veterinary field, it's not an easy field. It's not an easy job. You run around like crazy every single day. You're triple booked. You can't, you have to be in three places at once and you can't be. Um, you know, the, the, The suicide rate is high. The depression rate is extremely high. And somehow when I see you, you are one of the most inviting and and warm and bubbly people that I ever see. How do you do that? And then also, only two parts of this question. How do you do that? And then um, what advice do you have for folks who are interested in getting into the field? Great,
2: great questions. Just um,
0: long-winded questions.
2: <laughs> so I think that, well, first of all, it, naturally I'm a very positive person and it's, I, I like to focus on the happy moments in my day-to-day uh, a job. And so if I, you know, have to unfortunately see multiple sick, debilitated pets in a row, you know, I try not to get dragged down by those kinds of appointments. And so I try to focus on, you know, the new puppy visits that come in or, you know, a a family that just adopted a pet and is super excited because it's their very first pet they've ever had, you know? And so that those moments and the relationships that you make with those families are super, super important. And you're going to have a lasting impression and a lasting, um, Uh, Effect on their life, and so those those visits are really what kind of get me excited to get going in the morning. So so those are what keep me happy and bubbly for sure. Um, As far as my advice for others that want to come into veterinary medicine, yes, it is a really difficult career path. Um, It's you know trying to even just get into school is not easy. Um, uh, I applied to eighteen veterinary schools, Um, so that was a lot. I
0: didn't know there were 18.
2: Yeah, there, there are, um, there's, I have lost count now how many are in the U S but I applied to some internationally as well too. Um, but anyway, the 18 that I had picked, um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to find a school that, uh, will accept you. Uh, there, there are not very many spots. Um, so, so don't give up. Um, And if someone tells you, you know, don't go to veterinary school because of the suicide rate or because of the high rate of depression um, or because of the uh, financial commitment, you know, I think those are not good reasons. I, I think there's a lot of happiness in our field and I think a lot of times some people focus on the negatives. And so I had those comments said to me, you know, once upon a time and I just ignored them. Um, because that wasn't my field. That that wasn't my view. I'm sorry. That wasn't my view. So,
1: not a, not to dwell on, um, you know, the, the those negative um, things to to do with the field. But I actually never knew that. Is that is that really a thing that there's actually a high suicide rate and depression with the veterinary field? Yeah, it really? is. Wow.
0: Uh, It's kind of the reason why I asked about that. that That's like never ending struggle to communicate the value for what you're doing when, uh, you know, every other appointment on some days seems to be questioning why the bill is so high. That doesn't happen with human medicine. You get the bill after the fact when, when, you know, when you're at home and it comes in the mail and then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what it is is what it is after insurance. And if you got a problem, talk to the you know, the debt collector. It's a very cold way of doing business. What we do is actually much more. Um, well,
1: you could be like me and get a $42,000 bill a couple of weeks after your daughter's born, call your insurance company, and then they say, oh, we're sorry, that was that, that crossed in the mail. So, okay, thank, well, at thank least you.
0: they said they're sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, and I replied, well, thank you for the heart attack, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: Nothing know? like seeing that on a piece of paper, we'll, yeah, we'll exactly.
1: save that for,
3: for another episode. I got plenty yes. of things with them
0: i believe you i believe you um let's I, talk about oh go ahead kev please
3: i was gonna say i think we should do one episode where it's just the three of us talking about the difficulties of raising two daughters oh man you'd be like so i am in could be like an inverse my three dads something like that you know yes yeah well, well you steve six. can yeah, talk, he, he about, can his talk about your cats <laughs> that's right
1: exactly. yeah. it'll exactly. be called <laughs> our six daughters i love it
0: well we could we could have bill mccord on as a guest and mm-hmm. who else has two daughters I know there's more. Uh, Ken Sofer does. There you go. There's one. Well, we had him on last show, so yeah. we'll have to wait a while. Yeah. We've got to keep it fresh, you know? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the importance of having a relationship with your veterinarian, right? We have a lot of people who are um, animal keepers uh, that, that are fans of the, of the show, or listeners anyway. Fans, fan is a strong word. Um, but, you know, they, 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 they
1: tolerate the show.
0: Right. (laughs) Several people tune in and they don't know why Uh, they're drawn to it. It's uh, like a tractor beam. And um, so, you know, the importance of that relationship, I mean, I, I can tell you um, for a long time, I used to go to Kensington burden animal, which is a a wonderful hospital where they always took care of me. Um, And that, that was a great relationship. So I've been lucky enough to have really several relationships now with, with wonderful exotics veterinarians. Um, you're, you're the, the cream of the crop and, and I love working with you. And I think the reason for that is that you are always excited to work with my animals. You're excited to learn. I think a lot of people don't realize that, that they, they think that they want the most accomplished veterinarian, um, who, not, and that's not a dig at you at all. You're still newer at this and learning every day and you will forever. Cause that's your, um, approach to things, but, um, I don't care if you haven't done something before. So we use that example of, of, the, um, of the male turtle prolapse where you amputated the phallus. Okay. So that was something you had never done before. And you had told me that you weren't sure about doing it. And I said, well, okay. you know, if we don't do something, the turtle's gonna die, let's do it. Let's, the only, you know, and he's not gonna breed anymore, which is a shame. It was a, it was a Spangler Eye, a Vietnamese black-breasted leaf turtle um, which a lot of people know I keep. Um, and you know, basically let's try it and give him a shot at living a decent life. Um, and that was fine. What's, what's way more important to me than the fact that you've done that before is you're excited to learn, uh, you're willing to work with me. You're excited to work with me and that relationship that we have. And I think, um, a lot of people don't necessarily think of that until they actually experience it, how, how important that can be for you in terms of like doing what's best for your collection. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, do you have experience with that? Having a good relationship with a veterinarian?
1: Yeah, I, I have, um, I've lucked out, you know, same thing, you know, a few times, um, when I lived up north, I had two good vets. Uh, one's retired and one um, he relocated to North Carolina, and I was really bummed when I lost him because he was uh, he reminded me of you, uh, Dr. Green, because he he obviously knew what he was doing, but he was eager to learn you know like when I brought him a, a certain turtle or tortoise, he didn't necessarily know the species or even the genre it, it, that it was in but he 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 knew in other words like I was able to provide him with certain background information, possibly natural history, maybe even some taxonomy on the animal where uh, that's what he needed to know. And then he was able to provide his services and his expertise, which is what I obviously could not do. So we were kind of like, we were a really good team um, in that aspect. So when when I lost him uh, because he relocated, that was kind of a bummer. But then another vet um, who was uh, another one that was super eager to learn um, and he would, he actually would do me a lot of favors too, which was really nice. You know, he, uh, he was very eager to help me out, um, with, 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 certain things. If an animal absolutely needed something, you know, he would board an animal for me, uh, if it really needed extensive, heavy treatment. Um, and then thanks to my wife being, uh, an ex zookeeper we work closely now with, with a zoo vet, you know, who is, you know, he's operating on tigers and cheetahs and Galapagos tortoises and sea turtles and, and all that stuff. So it's almost like, when we go to him, he, he, most of the time he, he knows what it is, what it did in the wild or what it does in the wild and how to do this and how to do that. But again, there's still that eagerness to learn, which I find very warm. And I, and I, and I think is, you know, anybody, doesn't matter what field you're in. It could, it could be human medicine, animal medicine, a, a turtle breeder, uh, a, a YouTube personality or, or a, a social worker, whatever you are you know, some people sometimes get caught up in their egos and and they don't realize that they're coming off cold. So it's always beneficial to me like that when, when, um, I guess basically what you and Anthony have going on here, you know, you're helping each other because the goal is to save that animal's life. You know, whatever it takes, if it's possible, if it's amputating something very important, but the animal's still going to have quality of life afterwards, you guys, you know, came together and make sure that that happens. And we're, we're, Um, fortunate in in some of the same regard down here. We've had some bad experiences too. Um, One of our current veterinarians, not going to say any names, um, we're kind of disappointed in in how it's gone both for our dogs and some of our turtles, you know. I had a turtle that was very sick um, and I was uh, patiently awaiting blood results and test results and the animal died and that was a year ago and I still have yet to receive a phone call on the results you know. And they kind of pull the same thing with our, our dog, but you know, it, it's uh, I find that to be rare. You know, in my experience, my, my um, personal experience with the exotic bets and, and even you know domestic bets uh, with with you know our dogs has been great. I even had a uh, awesome uh, experience with Anthony knows the story. I think I used to keep goats up north, and, oh. uh, and long long story short, because I could go on forever about this stuff, but. Our, this one male goat who was, um, there's really not a word in, in our vocabulary that describes him because it's not mean enough. That's how bad this animal was. And, uh, he kept <laughs> animal out. lover. Yeah. yeah. He kept getting out. And Anthony, I'll tell you where I used to, where I used to live before I bought this house, I lived, um, far back from a highway, but it was a major highway, constantly crazy traffic on it. And this goat kept getting out and making his way into this traffic and animal control got involved and they were like look if this goat causes an accident you're in trouble like you know you, you could kill somebody you know if somebody hits a goat you know and um so my one of our current vets the, the zoo vet he did a he did a really good solid he came out with a dart gun and <laughs> aimed from really far away and took him out castrated him on the on point and and that goat went back in the pen so you know it it it, it was uh yeah. It was a pleasant uh, but nerve-wracking experience. But I'm getting Can I up- just
0: Can I just say something? You said Anthony knows the story. I don't know that story. Don't <laughs> you know that? Dude, You're kidding me? I would remember the the zoo guy coming with a tranquilizer gun, like oh like goodness. Ace Ventura, 2. That doesn't even that that just happened. I, I had I no idea. I cannot
1: believe that I never told you that story. That's usually like when I meet somebody for the first time, and it's like <sighs> you know, sometimes you meet somebody for the first time and it's awkward. <laughs> And you're like, yeah. hey, I'm Chris. Oh, hey, I'm Bob. Oh, yeah. Uh, my vet shot my goat in the balls once. You know, and it's like, <laughs> what? You know, and then it starts a great conversation.
0: That's right. They'll never forget you. But
1: w- one on. last little thing about the goat.
0: Oh, God, he's going on about the goat. <laughs> more, please. I-, I want more. I'm sure sorry. the viewers do.
1: I'm sorry. And it's the not goat a turtle, cast. Sorry. But okay. I, uh, I was at Tractor Supply buying um, equipment to set up. This is actually when I first got into using electric fences to... Um, at the time it was to keep my goats contained, but it, it eventually turned into one of the main ways that I protect my turtles uh, from predators. And, um, so this is the first time I was buying all the equipment to put this electric fence together. And while I was out doing it, my heart's racing. Cause I know this goat is somewhere on route 33 about to like cause a 10 car accident or something. And I get a phone call from, um, A good friend of ours that owns a zoo over here and it's his son is the veterinarian and he called me up and he said hey Chris we got him and I was like you're kidding me he's like we got him just he's a couple houses down from you just you know get home so you can give us a hand I get (laughs) I get back and I, I drive down the road actually I parked my truck and I walked down to the you know three or four houses down where they had him and I see three animal control vans and the veterinarian, he's a mobile vet, he goes to all these different zoos and stuff like all week. And I see everybody's cars and I see all these grown men, there's like 12 of them, leaning up against their vans laughing like little girls. And I'm like, what's so funny? And, and the vet, he comes over, he goes, look where I got him. And you see this poor goat laying on the ground with a dart hanging right out of you know what. So.
0: He that's went to shoot him and he got him in the
1: he didn't even mean to. He, he they were just desperate to get him away from the highway and the dart just happened to boom and he went down. <laughs>
0: that is incredible. It
1: was amazing. I, I wonder mean, is there amazing.
0: any is there any local numbing property to a to a dart gun? <laughs> <laughs> depends you
2: know? what it depends so. depends what it's loaded with.
0: Right. Yeah. Do you not need a local block after that to to numb the area? He's <laughs> just right there. He's sleeping.
2: Yeah, and the he, dark he got
0: like, him right where he, he needed to.
1: He's down right now. He's out cold. I suggest we castrate him, and I was like, I think it's the least you can do at this point. You know? <laughs> so, you know, just, anyway. to make a point. Just, yeah. just to make a
0: point, just just to make a point. You probably saved them and like dangled them for them to to let them know you meant business. <laughs> I'm sorry, him. this is this is taking a turn. I, <laughs> I was apologize. Like, no, you,
1: I don't need those, you know. But uh, yeah, he, sometimes he would-
0: when my friends come into the animal hospital for that, like to get their cat, you know, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give them a jar afterwards as a token <laughs> of my appreciation for coming to the hospital. Well, he's my uh, good. It's only my good friend.
1: He's living up in uh, Pennsylvania now on a nice farm, and you know he's. uh, no longer was, reckless, but ball, ballless.
0: That was one of the things for me, like not coming up in the veterinary field, and then like being in for a neuter. Like they neuter your animal, and then they just like the they the they just go in the trash, right, Doc? The
2: the testicles. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yes. And the ovaries, and the ovaries, like, <laughs> yes. like that, like, like testicles, like they mean something. I am sorry. They're they're symbolic. They're they're triumphant. They are they're so important. Maybe just to me, but like, and then they're just like bloop in the trash. And, and I. Kinda, I, I oh. Go ahead.
3: Uh, just a little anecdotal anecdote. Excuse me. Uh, so my my wife's cousin is our vet. Uh, she's in Fairfield at a uh, highway animal hospital. And when we brought our dog, our dog's name is Barf uh, from like Spaceballs. And when we really? brought Barf, oh, that's cute. Yeah, when we brought Barf to get neutered, uh, she took care of it, and it also came back with a little jar that said Barf's Balls, and that is uh, that's still at our house for some reason. You know, like four years later, I don't oh, know why. But...
0: Gross. Yeah,
3: uh, it's yeah. Not but see, but you
0: never asked for it, right? She just gave no, them to you. Uh,
3: yeah, it was a joke.
0: Something you do, I don't know why, but I just feel the need. Like if my stepfather comes in with a pet, or my good friend from from when I was a kid, like I just feel like you you need to have these because <laughs> they're going in the trash. And wouldn't this be silly to just be able to hand to your to your friend? I don't know.
1: It's just I, not. Ha- I have what one last. Uh, this one is turtle related though, so we're getting back on track here. Good, um, good, I like it. <laughs> the um the one veterinarian, the, the the gentleman that's now retired, that was really good with turtles. Um, I, I've, I've been involved in a couple different uh, genetics proje- projects with a couple different species, and um, this one time I had to bring a pair of uh, Barrett's box turtles, which are a uh, Cora Barretti, um, because they're part of the stud book, and um, we, they were like asking anybody who wanted to participate in genetic studies. So he did me a solid. He had already done some genetic work on tortoises for me, so I, I took the two of them there. And, um, he, he was great. He would just block out time because, you know, sometimes it took forever to, to, to find a vein, you know, whether we were going jugular or tail and, uh, we're, we're in there and we're trying, we, the male went great. You know, we, we got his blood, put it in the capsule and then we're trying to get the female to cooperate. And I don't know if any of you have ever had a box turtle close on your finger. Okay. Yes.
0: Recently, I thought I was going to die.
1: Yes. And I mean, an American box turtle hurts terribly and it happens to me six or seven times a summer but there's something about the power of a big asian box turtle like that where it was absolutely terrible my voice shot up like 10 different notes and he actually it was so bad and i think he was getting so embarrassed because i was like (sighs) you know like like i couldn't keep my cool anymore you know it was like it started off like yeah i got this i got this i got this i don't got you know and then he actually was like, I'm going to leave the room. Um, if you need anything, just, just shout, you know, like he had no idea what to do for me or the turtle. And I just had to sit in there. I don't remember. I mean, it's it felt like an eternity. It was probably only like five, you know, two or three minutes. But
0: that's a long the turtle, time.
1: though. Turtle, yeah. And I mean, the turtle finally released and it was it's always one of the ring fingers. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. And I mean, it was just it was black and blue like you wouldn't believe. We end up getting the blood from this turtle. (laughs) We leave, we go home, I ship the blood out as I'm told. The next morning, you guys know Lauren Augustine Mm -hmm. from the Cora Galbinefrond stud book. And she emails me the next day, Chris, thank you so much for your hard work. I wanted to let you know that one of the capsules exploded during shipment and we can't use it. So I wrote back, I said, please tell me it wasn't the female. And she was like, it was the female. And I have hated that turtle ever since <laughs> <You know? laughs> because of the entire situation that, that, you know, so not only did I almost lose a finger, but we have no idea what her genetics are. So there you go. I'm done. I'm sorry.
0: Dr. Green promised me that inevitably when I get my fingers stuck in a box turtle in front of you, that you leave the room and ask me if I need anything first. <laughs> please
1: think think of chris think of and don't think
0: any less of me it happened to me recently and i'm like oh my that that feeling where you're like oh crap how am i going to get out of this this is really dumb is this ever going to end am i going to live the rest of my life (laughs) either without the tips of my ring finger or fingers or with a turtle stuck to my like a a
1: chinese finger trap it's really horrible is that happening yet kevin
3: it's happened uh, it doesn't happen really that much anymore. the three toads they're they're pretty relaxed when I come in there now in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I first got them, yeah, Pinky.
1: it's terrible. It is absolutely terrible, and you have to like you have to like play a game with the turtle. you have to put it down with your finger mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. and and just you have you you can't move because even your pulsing finger. They feel it, and then they, they mm. tighten up more, and it's like, I'm getting upset. I have to stop talking about this.
0: Stop talking <laughs> about it. Stop talking about it. The show, the show is going to be change the subject. Breaking Your Fingers in Box Turtle Shells. It it's, be, it's all we're talking about at this yes. point. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a good time to transition into our first feature, which should be queued up.
3: <clears throat> Minto's Mailbag. All right.
0: So we are ready for that. Kev, take it away. All
3: right, guys, here we go. So I have three questions right now. Uh, I'm not going to do them in order. Uh, The first question is from Steve Baker. Uh, Dr. Green, what does or would you do if someone brings in a species they shouldn't have, such as an eastern box turtle?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. question.
2: Hmm. That's a really good question, and I think it would depend on who that person is like if it was someone that I know that's like Anthony um (laughs) that is involved in (laughs) um uh, with exotic species specifically um you know those uh, you know I wouldn't really pursue anything there um the that's a really tough question um
0: you would, you would text me.
2: Yes, I, you're right. I probably. So if would. somebody came in <laughs>
0: with a with a wood turtle or a bog turtle, you'd be like, yeah. Anthony, what's up with this? And is, there I would tell you, is, mm, is there any obligation
1: then, with that? Like, like, does the Connecticut Fish and Wildlife put anything in place to veterinary exotic veterinarians? Like, like hey, if somebody brings something and we need to know about it
2: no no
1: I've heard no
2: and I mean I try to make it a point to not call the authorities on my clients that come in to see me so it's not, <laughs> as a general it's yeah it's not yeah. really good for business as a general rule of thumb I try not to report them so
0: <laughs> it's usually from it would usually be from ignorance too right like yeah like,
1: yeah a lot of times people just don't know
0: so you know? so there's education that needs to happen there right Correct. um that's, that's, that's the most important thing I think with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of working with, you said Connecticut Fish and Wildlife is called the DEEP and they're not really, they don't really have many boots on the ground. Unfortunately, it's my biggest gripe with them here in, in the States. They pretty much just outlaw a lot of native things and have a lot of legislation in place and then do nothing. So,
3: yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Okay, good. All right, so this next one uh, is from Derek Johnson.
1: Dr. Oh, hi, Derek. Green. Hey, Derek. Hi, hi Derek.
3: Hi, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Green, vet medicine seems more complicated than human medicine, dealing with hundred species, diseases, patients that can't tell you what's wrong. Uh, how difficult is vet medicine in your opinion?
0: That was a multifaceted question. Good that job, was, Derek.
2: That was, that was a good question. Good many yeah. questions. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I'm not a human physician. And so I can't really compare to that, unfortunately. Um, so my opinion is definitely biased in that regard. But the number of things that I deal with on a day to day basis, um, and like Anthony was mentioning earlier, you know, um, we don't really have social workers to lean on, we don't have other areas of government to lean on. It's really just us, um, and so we are the dentist. We are the internal medicine specialist. We are the general practitioner. We are everything. We are the phlebotomist. We we do it all, um, and so or at least we attempt to. Um, and we try to do that to the best of our ability. Um, and so we try to keep everybody happy, uh, both our staff and our visitors to the hospital and the families to the hospital. So it's, it's definitely very challenging. Um, and I, I, it's difficult to explain how challenging it is. But um, when you just start naming off those few different jobs that you have to do on a day-to-day basis, uh, I think that helps to kind of maybe describe that a little bit.
3: Yeah, awesome. Thank you.
2: Mm -hmm. Can I speak to one thing real quick?
0: I just want to throw out there and and give you props and and also challenge our listeners to be better in this one area. I've spoken to so many people who want to hate on veterinarians for not knowing the species of turtle, of snake, of lizard that's brought in. Mm -hmm. There are now, you know, we're talking about 340 some odd turtle taxa, but you know, snakes. The number is huge. Lizards. The number is huge. There's so many different species out there, and that's just reptiles. We're not talking. I mean, you see rabbits and ferrets and guinea pigs and ducks and chickens and uh, the amount of of animals that you'll see at a small animal exotics pra- practice is is incredible. Um, so the fact that your veterinarian doesn't know that the scientific name of your Chinese box turtle is Cora Flavomarginata doesn't mean that you know more than them. It doesn't. Um, And a lot of this animal medicine overlaps in the knowledge that we have. I mean, a lot of things we do, if you look at like the formulary books and the veterinary books, it's, it's, this is something we do for most turtles Mm. And it works for most species and, and, and research shows that it works for this, this, and this. And then you're making an educated guess based on that knowledge. It's what we're all doing Correct. as keepers is just making educated guess after educated guess and doing the best we can. And I can't stress enough how important it is to involve a veterinarian, um, especially with the complicated cases, because they're more educated than you. And they can make a more educated guess in a way that that those of us who are obsessed with different species and things like that and husbandry, uh, we're not on that level in terms of the medical stuff the vast majority of the time. So I just want to give that little shout out. I know that's something that um, has come up for you too.
2: Can I just say, too, though, and as a uh, tangent on that, so it's that relationship we were talking about earlier is so, so important. And so areas that, you know, I feel more knowledgeable in on um, the medicine aspect, you are much more knowledgeable in, Anthony, in the husbandry aspect. And so I don't know all of that information. And so it's really important to have that open line of communication. So that way we can work together as a partnership to treat the, the turtles and the tortoises that you bring in. And um, right. so, so it's important to have that relationship because each person does bring something to the table.
0: That's all I ever wanted. <laughs> 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 it's true though. It's true. Just like all I ever wanted was to just be respected. That's it. Um, and yeah, so to, to have a relationship with anyone, with all of you guys here, mutual respect, it's what it's all about. So, okay, Kev, back to you.
3: All right. Uh, this one was just asked. Dr. Green, are you taught compounding in vet school or do you use an outside compounding pharmacy?
2: That's a Good great question. question. That's a great question. And so um, we're sort of taught about uh, compounding medications in a roundabout way in vet school. And so, and it's very difficult because every state has their own compounding laws. And so they can't really. They can only teach you what's in the state of the school that you're going to school in, uh, but they can't teach you every single state's laws out there. And so it's up to you to kind of figure that out when you go to practice in whatever state you choose to go to. Um, and so every state's different. Um, so, and you kind of learn a little bit on the job as well. I know that's not super comforting to hear that, um, but you become more comfortable using certain drugs in certain formulations or ones that are super bitter might need uh, flavoring added to them. Um, Medications like uh, cats uh, in particular are so difficult to medicate at home. And when you start to uh, diagnose cats in particular with chronic diseases like high blood pressure or um, hyperthyroidism, you need to be able to give those cats medications on a daily basis to help maintain them and keep them healthy. And so then the compounding pharmacy becomes your best friend. Um, transdermal medications, which is like a lotion that you rub on the ear. Um, those are your best friend with cats, and there are many medications that can be made into that formulation. But that is not something that I learned in veterinary school. That is something that I learned on the job because I tried mm. to send an owner home with a pill that they paid you know $40 dollars for for a month supply and then they got mad at me because they couldn't pill their cat. Mm. And so I learned that I needed to compound that medication. Um, and I learned by trial and error, unfortunately, but the hard way. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so Steve is asking Diva to Dr. Green to, um, explain what compounding is.
2: So, compounding of a medication is taking the original form and turning it into another form. And so, and you might be turning a pill into a liquid or a liquid into a pill, and you can make it into whatever concentration it needs to be to make it easy to administer. Um, you can also add flavorings to it and things like that. And, and so that's what compounding is. Uh, there are lots of different compounding pharmacies across the United States. Um, and then every hospital has certain ones that they will specifically try to work with.
0: So a comment was shared, um, by, by Derek, who had just asked you a question, just so you know, you're doing very well. He said, Thanks, Dr. Green, yourself and every vet out there. Truly astounding um, at the workload you handle on okay. the go and on the go knowledge that you have to learn. Bravo, um, which I thought was really fitting because I think that's Thank and that's you, exactly who you are, right? Trying to um, learn on the job and just do the best you can with what you have to work with. And at your practice, it's like that more than anywhere else. Your, your place could honestly have a reality show. You walk in there and it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like um, Santa's workshop in late November.
2: great way to
0: describe it. It's just (laughs) wild. Everyone's running around crazy. And I come and visit and everyone is so nice. Everyone's so busy, but they're so nice. It's like Norm walking into Cheers. Oh, Norm, you know, and then, but everyone's working and moving and you as the visitor are just standing there and you're having like side conversation after side conversation with people who are like coming into and out of the room. So you could stay there for two hours and not stop talking the entire time, but every 15 seconds, you're getting a new person that you're talking to who just jumps into the conversation. It's like extreme speed dating, except it's not dating. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So that's awesome. So, uh, Kev, that's, that's it, right? You don't have another question? I
3: actually got one more.
0: You do? That's unprecedented. Four Brush questions back. in the mailbag. You're going to need a yeah. bigger bag. It, you got Mary Poppins bag over there.
3: Work these shoulders out, you know? Wow. Terrific. Uh, Let's do it. So this is from a longtime viewer and friend. Uh, My daughter wants to be an exotic animal vet. What's the best route for her to go? She's currently looking at Purdue University.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the answer to that is whichever route works for her um, is, is the route to go. So there, <laughs> there is no one route that is better than another. And so you, know, you heard me share uh, some personal information that I applied to 18 veterinary schools. And so you go to the school that you get accepted to. <laughs> it's not usually the other way around where you get to pick where you go. Um so so you go where you can um and then from there you try your best to you have to learn the core information first, and so you know you need to be able to learn to be a, a good cat and dog doctor before you can then move on to be an exotics doctor. And so that information is is no more or less important than than the exotics information. Um, so so that's that's really key, and you need to have a really good basis and, and foundation in order to move forward into exotics. A lot of that information transfers over. That's great. Um, awesome. Yeah. That's, great. that's really yeah. good.
0: Um, So, Steve, are you ready to move into our next features? Uh, I can't hear him; he's silent. So I'm just going to say he's probably getting ready. He's oh, probably getting—he is ready. Okay, he is good. ready. He is good. ready. Good. I'm embarrassed. I—I <laughs> I never know what to do involving Steve. He muted <laughs> the microphone because he had to blow his nose. Terrific. He's, TMI. He's cooking. Now he's mad at me that I told everyone. <laughs> He was blowing his nose. (laughs) I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. This went downhill fast. We were doing so well. Dr. Green had a nice answer. And then where did the show go? Okay. So now we're going to get into pit and peak, which Steve is ready for. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to go one after the other. Now what I want to do guys, I want to see this and I'm just going to say this for everyone. This is our plan. Okay. All right. Mind mouth, mind mouth. Let's go. Um, we should go more quickly than Dr. Green. Okay. She's our guest. She is a damn doctor and people want to hear from her, not us, but it's, oh. we like the format of having everybody kind of, you know, share a little bit what their answers are. Okay. So who's up first? I go first. Kev, you're, the, you're the smartest. Okay. So that means I'm second because I'm not following up, Chris. And then we leave our (laughs) esteemed guests for, no, you know what? Let's go, let's go, Kev. Then, then me, then Dr. Green, then Chris. Okay. (laughs) Let's have some fun because nobody wants to follow you. Nobody (laughs) wants to follow you. You're, you're, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kev. All
3: right. So this is my peak, actually. Uh, My yard is providing 95% 95% of the food that I'm feeding my tortoises this year, which has been really, really great. Uh, I've had, you know, I got an idea from Anthony a couple years ago to reach out to like a local grocery store to any kind of like old produce they're getting rid of. I can kind of go through that. But uh, this has just been way easier and I'm a great variety. I'm just very happy about it.
0: That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Nice and uh, uh, sync so. too. Good job.
3: And then uh, if we move to the next picture... This is, it's sideways, but that is my pit. Uh, I had a groundhog burrow in from my neighbor's yard into my three-toed pen in the one spot that's like, you know, four inches wide that so there isn't a board blocking it. <laughs> and more than likely, it went from my yard into my neighbor's yard. But regardless, eight, eight toads got out. Uh, I found five of them. <laughs> so uh, I am I'm I've lost three three toads. I'm still you know hopefully I'll find them. But uh, that was definitely, oh, a, a,
0: bummer. definitely a bummer. Bummer yeah. happens to the best of us, man. Happens <laughs> to the best of us.
3: Yeah, there was a, a prison escape. So man.
0: my my dog had a fight with a groundhog the other day. It it was like Chris with your finger stuck in the box turtle. It was this a couple minutes, a but it, it felt like fifteen minutes. He was fine. The the groundhog just wanted to get away. He was like playing with it, and he never got bit. But I was like, I'm am a slow human, uh, generally phys- physically, um, more so than when ice because. cream involved. That's true. That's true. Um, not when I'm trying to get my internet to work before the show comes on. Um, but he ran out, and they went through my whole yard like diagonally the long way. Just it just went on forever. It was like Aunt Bunny falling down the steps. It just took forever. So that's from, I got a, I got a, I, I got
1: a groundhog too in one of my pens. It's weird that like all three of us are having a crazy presence right now. It was epic. He, 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 lives underneath the Aldabra shed, but he actually ran into it the other day cause he freaked out. It was awesome. But yeah, he's fine. I guess.
3: Chris, do you get raccoons in your have a heart traps?
1: Uh, when I sometimes, yeah, it, it depends. What are you using a bait? Uh, turtle pellets. Okay. That's all like right. the best. That's like the best thing to use. I mean, a lot of people swear by um, sweets, like cookies and marshmallows, and I've tried that. If I don't eat them all myself, uh, it's kind of heartbreaking for me to part
3: with them. You, know? um, you guys can <laughs> feel
0: free to have this conversation offline. You yes.
3: got it. <laughs> Sorry, Doctor Green. There was there was a reason behind it, but
0: yeah. I'm just kidding. No, that was actually fine. that was fine. That was just me being a jerk because I think it makes it makes for good. <laughs> Radio or internet yeah. broadcast, whatever the heck yeah. this is.
3: Yeah. <laughs> whatever. <I> mean, <laughs> whatever. We're going to get, what, get an award this year for this show, you know? Yeah. We're
0: going to make our own award and we're going to give it to yeah. you because you deserve oh, thanks. it. Thanks. Yeah. We'll give it My all. Version of
3: the Dun- our version of the Dundee's.
0: Yes, absolutely.
3: Oh, yeah. That'd be great. And this year,
0: the Cutest in the Office award goes to Kevin Minto. <laughs> cutest redhead. Kevin Minto. Okay. No hair. Let's go, Steve. I'm waiting. All this, all this chitter chatter. Okay. That is okay. I kind of have, all right. So I have some, some weird, of course, because I can't just be cut and dry. Uh, each one is a pit and peak. So this, this is Timon who, um, is a, um, ornate box turtle who, um, has cellulitis and was really, um, struggling quite a bit. And, um, I actually tube fed him, uh, used on his, on his limbs, teramycin on his eyes. Um, he's now been through two rounds of antibiotics, both um, and ceftazidine. And he is now doing better. Steve, I don't know if you have the other picture there. There was three pictures for this one, I think. I don't know. It might be confusing. So did that's what I used. I made that. Doing better? He's doing tremendously. Oh,
1: he's doing better. Okay.
0: That's what I used to tube feed him. I, f- I, I filled that up with um, mashed turtle pellets and water to hydrate as well. And I used that th- 3 uh, ml syringe to, um, to tube feed, which was easier than I feared and thought. Um, just make sure if you're ever tube feeding, I'm not, this isn't like a go-try-it-at-home sort of thing. You should be working with a veterinarian. Although, Dr. Green, I didn't work with you on this. I worked <laughs> with a rehabber, okay. <laughs> uh, a, a friend who's a rehabber who, who helped me. Um, a couple friends, actually, who have experience with that. And then now you oh, can wow. see he's looking a lot better. Um, yeah. and he's just, he's climbing the walls and the tub that he's in, that's kind of like a, a, quarantine tub until I really, you can see, he's still, I don't love the way his legs are looking. So it, that's kind of like a pit and a peak. I, it's like a, uh, interview question answer, like tell, tell me your greatest weakness. And I tell you a strength yeah. anyway. So that sort of thing. Um, and then I had another one too. Very proud of that one. Um, so yeah, this, this year, um, going well with eggs, which has been really cool. Um, the, uh, the small egg that you see there is from a turtle that weighed, that weighs 32 grams, which I did not think was possible. So just to give you reference that that turtle is it's, it's like two and a quarter inches long. The, the female that laid the egg, it's the egg itself weighs two grams. Is that um, a
1: uh, bow ray egg, or or is that no, a no? It's a
0: it's a odoratus, odoratus. A, a stink pot a stink pot um, stink pat common, common stink pat. <laughs> uh, turtle and cool. um, from the smaller locality, which is crazy. the the big, the, the second largest egg is actually from an Everglades barai, a Everglades uh, Bar a three striped mud turtle, which is a uh, very small turtle, like three inches long as an adult. And um it's just it's just crazy, so yeah, um, only one egg was laid there, a one egg clutch, uh, usually those small turtles are just laying one egg clutches, and on radiograph, that egg looked large inside the turtle. That is how uh, small that turtle is. Geez, um, wow. It's What's incredible the big egg? uh the large egg is a is a Reeve's turtle i just put that there for reference but um some just some cool things i've had 16 different species taxa lay eggs this year which is just crazy for me now i'm not going to hatch them all but my record for like different taxa that i've hatched in a year is seven so i'm really just having a fun time with that i don't i don't know if i'm going to hatch a million or anything uh a a bunch of the eggs i think my my hatch rate will still be low but it's it's an exciting thing so anyway happy to update you guys dr green you're next
2: Okay, you might have to help me out a little bit because I'm having trouble seeing which pictures are coming up. Really? Yes. Oh. Yeah.
0: Can you see Steve's video feed?
1: We can tell you what pictures are. Yeah. We'll just. Yeah. See picture it is. Yeah. Let's yeah. do it.
0: Okay. So, can you see it or no? This is the this is the um, keeled box turtle, the one that we we worked on.
2: Yep. So, so my pit is that I am, and this is my, my forever pit. So in my profession, I am a forever learner. And so I am forever trying to better myself and learn more about exotic species. So I can be more knowledgeable when individuals come in with a problem and a concern with their pets. So that's my pit.
0: That's, can I tell you what's awesome? I I did this on pit and peak. I use the, I use this you story. You did? And people may not realize you and I have worked together on a lot of, you know, a lot of cases, a lot of animals that, that we've worked on together. So, um, that it's cool that you use that one. One of
2: my favorites. (laughs) And Can you
0: explain there that blood draw? So, so that is, um, so I've, I've heard that there's a risk of causing damage because you're going back in there and if you don't know where you are sort of thing no. but we did really well we that, did and we by we i mean you you did. did it i held you I held. were
2: holding that was super important so Those are my
0: hands and, and you have the syringe you're doing you got the business end of the of, <laughs> of the situation yeah
2: yes so and i had to do a lot of research prior to you coming in to learn how to draw blood from turtle i i did not know how to do that so um, that's the carapacial plexus that I drew from, um, and it was successful. It was good.
0: Awesome, and and <laughs> I up until that point, I, I like Chris had just done. Um, I'd seen jugular draws before, and then also from the tail, but I've never I'd never seen that up until that point
2: so we've learned how to do tail vein draws on many species in school um, so that that was something i was familiar with but um, if i recall correctly the tail was very small so and this so is not this would is not a been common sense successful to... yeah. yep yeah definitely <laughs>
0: um awesome okay so that's your that's your pit yep okay and drum roll okay this looks like this looks like a gastropexy
2: It sure was. Yeah. Okay. Explain
0: (laughs) what a gastropexy is for everybody.
2: So a gastropexy is a surgery that is performed preventatively um, at the time of spay or neuter for a dog. Um, And so there is a condition called bloat um, or GDV or gastric dilatation volvulus and what happens is spontaneously or because of heavy exercise or because of the breed specifically, um, the stomach can actually turn completely over and it will cut off blood supply. It will start to fill with gas and distend. It's extremely painful. It's life threatening. The pet can die with within a matter of hours. Um, and so, um, it's super, super important to get them to an ER whenever that happens. And I say an ER specifically, not a general practice where I work, (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, very, very important to seek medical attention. Um, anyway, but I recently, um, have, and I, when I say recently in the past year, um, have been trying to, uh, specifically learn how to do this preventative procedure at the time of spay and neuter for dogs, um, to tack the stomach to the body wall. So that way it prevents this condition from occurring. Um, and it's not hundred percent, but it's pretty close and so it's it's wonderful. And if it prevents people from losing their pets early, um, that's a condition that I want to try to help treat. Um, it's not a particularly difficult surgery when you're already in the abdomen, um, but there are a lot of organs that I don't want to by accidentally injure during that surgery. There are a lot of vessels, there's a lot of other important tissue. And so trying to learn how to maneuver around all of that to do what you're trying to do um, is is really important. And VCA really helped me to do that because they brought in uh, Dr. Stern, who's a board certified surgeon at VCA Cheshire, Um, and she came in and did two gastropexy palooza days with me. And yes, I call them gastropexy paloozas because I was really excited about them. And so that was, that was what I called them. Um, And we just did gastropexy after gastropexy after gastropexy on patients that it was indicated for. um, And I learned how to do the procedure. And so the picture that you're seeing is me uh, doing, well, afterwards doing a gastropexy on uh, my very first uh, patient solo. So, yes.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I'm so happy to get that update. When For one of those days with Dr. Stern, I helped you set that up and was there during the surgery, which is so cool. So, you know, people who watch the show know that I um, am a turtle guy and I'm really lucky to be doing what I'm doing. I get to see cool stuff like that. Like I, you know, I I have dogs. And even though I'm a turtle person, it's really cool to be able to be in that surgery and learn about it. I didn't realize you're you're like – I, for lack of a better term, and I'm, I'm definitely using the wrong medical term, but you're like scoring the inside of the body wall, like cutting it mm-hmm. so that, and then you also cut the stomach, the outside, and then you put them together. It's like tusk. It's like, it's like a f- f- fake made up movie, like, like Frankenstein where you're putting these two different, mm-hmm. you're putting an organ and a body wall together and they're fusing together. Yeah. Up, up until I actually saw you guys do it. I thought that you were using like a, a permanent stitch would stay there and hold the stomach there so it wouldn't twist but you're actually planting them together like somebody who's like growing a bonsai tree or something you're like totally manipulating things to do what you want them to do which is like the coolest thing did you guys know that no gastropexy man
2: it's really cool. There's there's actually many different ways to do the gastropexy, um, and it's not a, a procedure that's taught in veterinary school unless you're very lucky and maybe a fourth-year preceptor is willing to show you, um, but most people do not learn that procedure in school, so it's something that you learn after the fact. Um, and it's something that you sort of, uh, adopt into your practice after you become very comfortable with the spay and the neuter. Um, and so it's, it's not something that you're typically starting out doing from day one. So
1: we, uh, we have a, um, a guy that, that's local here and he, he's actually, um, we call him one of our lookouts because, uh, on one of my, uh, wife's, uh, study sites for the Diamondback Terrapin project. Um, this guy, Kevin, uh, he's always, he, he's like our crazy local guy that he'll like scream at people for going five miles over the speed limit and stuff. Cause he doesn't want anybody to hurt the turtles, but he has, uh, a massive African Mastiff and, uh, his name is wick and, uh, wick almost just died because of this. And they did, oh. they saved them. They did oh, it. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Oh. And it's not a good outlook. It, yeah, I know his, yeah. his head is like this. And, but he's the sweetest dog in the world. And and it was was a, it was a happy ending. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's okay.
2: That's good. That's good. It doesn't always turn out that way. So I'm very happy to hear that.
1: So. All right. Yeah.
0: Make it quick, man.
1: Uh, all right. This is my pit. Um, this is kind of silly, uh, but it's one of those things that any of us that keep turtles or I, you know, probably any animal, it's just sometimes that one small thing that just drives you up a wall. This is the newest pond that I put in on my property. And it's for our alligator snapping turtles. Some of you watching may have seen the YouTube video and all that. Um, I cannot keep the algae under control for the life of me in this pond. Um, And uh, I'm usually very good, you know, biological and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. But um, (laughs) because of COVID, a lot of the pond stores missed the boat on getting their pond plants in in time. So I couldn't get any pond plants down here in time for this. And because it's so sunny and hot, the algae has just been getting control. So I called my father and I asked him if he could hit up the, the pond store up by him and buy whatever they had left of water hyacinth and water lettuce to help me start getting this algae under control. Cause it's a brand new pond. And, uh, he went out, he bought me a hundred dollars worth of water hyacinth and water lettuce, wow. brought it down. I gave him the money for it, you know, cuz it was like an it was like an emergency cuz I just wanted to get this cleared up so I could see what the snappers were doing. And uh, we put it all in there. I was like I drained the whole pond, scrubbed every single rock and crevice. The water was nice and clear. The plants were in. Female al- alligator snapper ate every single plant overnight. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> so uh
1: the pond's green, and the pond's green, and it's gonna stay that way for the Listen, rest.
0: Listen, I this is important. I I want I oh. want everyone to know. Like snapping turtles have a r- really bad reputation, and yeah. like you know, studies show like gut contents like seventy percent plants. Like these yeah. these are not animals that are just ruthless killers that are killing all the ducklings in the in the pond that you love. Yeah. It, it, anyway, you
1: know they they eat vegetation. They also eat some fruit. They eat acorns, you know, and. Uh, I, uh, you know, luckily, the turtles are happier with the water being dark because they feel secure, you know, so it's
0: I was going to give you a hard time. Cause, yeah. cause you said, you, you know, I love like biological, yeah. but this, the algae I'm like, but well, that is biological.
1: Yeah. But what I mean is like, you know, if you go to my other ponds and you park the plant life, you can see down there, you know what I mean? Like this is, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of creepy too. You never know when this giant alligator snapper is going to appear somewhere. Yeah, that's good, that's anyway, that's, that's my little bit <laughs> lately. That's been nuts.
0: You should try a filter with a UV sterilizer. and no, um, I, my- Why not?
1: yeah We'll talk about that another time.
0: Oh my God, why you gotta hate on me like that? Oh, I'm not
1: hating on you. I'm hating on you. It's okay. That was just right. a blatant
0: lack of respect. I've been sweating, yes, the whole time. <laughs> I told you that I started the show by running up and down my stairs in my you house. Made
1: it, okay. You made it right in time. You did good.
0: <sighs> my dogs were barking. They thought all hell was breaking this. Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: so, my, my peak this time is. Um, as time goes on here and all my enclosures really mature, my turtles are really becoming self-sufficient, which is something that I strive for. And again, going back to the whole naturalistic keeping is my biggest thing. That, that's how I want everything to be. And and I'm seeing the turtles really be self-sufficient now. Um, some of them don't run up to me as much anymore, which I like. They head in the opposite direction, which is what I want to see. Um, and they are, you know, sometimes when you get too busy and you're like, man, I haven't fed everybody in a couple of days, days, there's so much plant life. There's so many invertebrates, or all these different species that they're just staying fat and healthy. You know, I, I, nobody wants to be fat, but you know what I mean. They're heavy. They've got good weight. They're thriving and they're really becoming self-sufficient. And I liked this photo of this barretti because this species is so reclusive, but they're so content in their habitat now that they are utilizing the mm. um, spotty sunlight, which, which is something that they're. I'm seeing more and more of now. Um, obviously, the species hates to be out in the open. Some people insist on keeping them that way and it doesn't work out well for them, but yeah, self-sufficiency with the turtles, something I'm, I'm really, uh, stoked to be seeing now. Awesome.
0: Really cool. Okay. So that brings us to our next feature, which is normally the best taxa, but we wanted to change it up a little bit because as I said, like uh, veterinarians are not into taxa the way that we are. Obviously Dr. Green's always willing to learn, but, um, it's, they just don't necessarily geek out on that quite as much because the medicine, you know, overlaps many different species. So we wanted to talk about a really exciting project that each one of us wanted to just bring up and kind of make the viewers aware of and and to share with people just to kind of give people an idea of of what's out there for some animal loving people. If you, you know, stick at it and, and, you know, put your mind to something over time. All right. So Kev, we'll keep the same rotation.
3: Sure. Uh, so my initiative was just kind of hooking up with you guys. Uh, I got really excited oh, about that. Oh. Not, well, yeah, I'm not as experienced as you guys are. And uh, it was it was nice to be able to contribute. It's something that I'm passionate about, even if I don't have formal education for it or just the experience in general. You know, um, It's definitely been something like eye opening for me throughout the past, you know, like five years. So I'm very thankful to be a part of it and glad I'm on board.
0: I love you. I want you love to know you, that in front of everyone. I want you to know that.
3: I love all of you. I guys, appreciate so. you. Okay.
0: Awesome. There was no picture for that.
3: No.
1: Because we're all no right picture, here. Man. It's just me, and you guys.
0: Love it. We're sitting kumbaya after we, after we, uh, <laughs> after the live stream ends.
1: And nobody ever watched
3: the show again.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm ready. I'm ready, Steve. Hit me with it. Okay. So, oh, you're. where we doing a minute? Okay. This is a cool project I was a part of. That's Kong, a 42-pound common snapping turtle, which is a, a relatively large one. Um, this was in partnership with National Geographic Critter Cam, um, something that I did with my friend Chris Lugendbuhl, who's amazing. Uh, basically, we would catch a large snapper and put a uh, video camera on their back with a timer that would... Um, cut the line and let the camera float to the surface. It's like a yellow camera. I don't know if you can go to other pictures, Steve. You probably can't, right, with the timer. Um, Okay, there he is. Good. So there he is with the camera. And then you actually get footage to see, okay, what are these turtles doing when nobody's watching? So get really getting really cool footage like that where you could actually see the snappers view um, and National Geographic does this with with many other species as well and um, it was just a cool project to be a part of that um, was kind of going on near me and and I was really proud to just be the snapping turtle handler. Has there ever been a cooler job to have on your resume? I don't think so It's like awesome. basically being That's the tiger awesome. king I handle the snapping turtles. <laughs>
3: We shot we shot a video for that and then like CBS released one that was better than ours.
0: And I was like, ah. <laughs> darn CBS. But you know, it's um, working in the veterinary field. I always, because I'm a turtle guy and I mean, I have dogs, but like t- veterinary technicians and doctors, several of them are just so good. They're so confident. They could just go in and grab a fractious cat and just know how to do it. And I'm just like the huge guy in the way all the time. Um, no, so it's no, nice with Anthony. the snap. It's true though. No, it's it's one hundred percent true, and it's okay. But I'm just gonna say the first time that a snapping turtle or anaconda walks in, I'm gonna be the hero that day. One day, <laughs> it'll happen. I'm hol- if if I spend the next thirty years doing this, it'll happen one day. Okay, <laughs> Dr. Green, you're up.
2: Okay. Um, so I think the picture that came up is yes. a penguin with some needles in its back. Perhaps.
3: Yes. Wow.
2: <clears throat> so, um, when I was a junior, I believe it was my junior year of veterinary school. Um, I shadowed with a doctor in North Dakota of all places over the summer. And he was a certified acupuncturist and chiropractic, uh, veterinarian And he totally broadened my horizons as far as holistic medicine goes. And so I saw all of these animals that were older and debilitated and with acupuncture and chiropractics were able to move better and live a better quality of life in their older years. And so this inspired me that I wanted to become also a certified uh, veterinary acupuncturist. And so in my senior year, um, I enrolled in a program that was an integrative medicine program um, that allowed me to do that. And so I finished up about a year out of vet school. Um, it's, it was a little bit of a long program, but it was good. And um, I then decided to also combine that with my passion for exotics And so I reached out to, first it was the Roger Williams Park Zoo in Providence, Rhode Island. And I worked with them for a couple of years on doing some exotics for um, uh, acupuncture on one of their giraffes. Um, So that was super fun. Um, And we helped uh, her with her mobility concerns. I also worked on a Kenyan sand boa there who had an appetite issue. Um, And so we were able to get her to eat after nine months of being anorexic, of not eating. Um, Uh, So that was wonderful. Um, And then I uh, was referred to uh, Mystic Aquarium here in Connecticut. And Mystic Aquarium had the need for some acupuncture to be done on several of their African penguins, which is the one that you're seeing here in the picture. And then I also worked with one of their um, sea lions as well, too. So um, just really, really cool to be a part of. Super exciting to be able to combine my interest with exotic uh, medicine and marine mammal medicine um, and and help them out with uh, my acupuncture certification. So, yeah. <laughs> if
0: I can just, as a follow up, I, I know, you know, I follow a lot of reptile based um, social media stuff. And I can remember a post, I don't know if it was on the reptile report, but a big page that had i believe it was a ball python getting acupuncture and the amount of negative attention that it got i don't know do you know about this really? no. okay uh. so the amount of negative attention you know this is animal abuse this is ridiculous there's no way that could be helpful and from my perspective i assumed that you know a bunch of people just making assumptions themselves um i assume there was a, a level of ignorance there but I'm ignorant myself, so I, I didn't really know for sure. So can you speak a little bit to the actual medical backing for acupuncture and exotics? Um, and because I, I don't think that's something, I mean, I would just assume because I know you're legit and you're a great doctor that it's 100% above board, but I don't know why mm-hmm. besides that.
2: So, uh, and I mean, acupuncture is a mystery to a lot of people, even those in the medical field. And so, there are some that really believe in it, and there are some that don't. And and that's okay. Um, it's it's just like picking medications that work well for you and and your patients.
0: Right. You know, There's not a reason why the medication works. It's just been tested, and it's and the results are there. Correct. Got it. Yep. Got it.
2: So, so, um, as far as acupuncture goes, um, in the, the program that I went to specifically, I, I mentioned is an integrative medicine program. So it combines the Western education that I received with the old Eastern tradition of Chinese acupuncture and teaches it from a scientific background. And so that was the, the training that I received. And so, um, acupuncture is all based upon nerve bundles that are located all throughout our body. And so, and and you have these little nerve bundles that are located all at different points underneath our skin. And so what happens is when you put a needle through skin or scales, um, you are putting them at certain points where it's activating these nerve bundles and it helps to decrease inflammation. It helps to activate growth factors, which helps to regenerate uh, sensation. So maybe help with movement. Um, it helps to um, draw healing cells to come in closer um, to that area that maybe is particularly painful and, and injured. Um, and so all of those factors are really important to help with healing and, and improving quality of life. And so, by stimulating these specific areas for certain ailments that you're trying to treat for, you are medically uh, following this whole chain of reactions in your body. You're stimulating this chain of reactions to occur and, and help the patient out.
0: Wonderful. That's I love it. Really cool. Really cool. Thank you for that. Um, so, Chris, you're, you're up next. Yeah, I don't really think you should time me on this one, though. Because it's going to be that fast? No, it's
1: not. Because I had a, remember I told you I had a story to follow it up. Uh, Oh, Jesus. recent story. Hey, man.
0: Lord in heaven, help
1: us. No story. No story. Go ahead. Time me.
0: Okay. Tell the story.
1: Uh, Oh, God. You want me to tell a story about you? So, (laughs) obviously, my, my favorite initiative that I'm part of is my wife's. Diamondback Terrapin uh, Project, Terrapin Conservation Initiative, which is a turtle room project, but something that I'm very proud of that's, that's a little bit outside my boxes. I recently, last year, trained and joined the Venomous Snake Response Team for New Jersey Fish and Wildlife and the Wildlife Conservation Corps. Um, and I've always had a really good relationship with Fish and Wildlife, and it was really amazing for them to bring me on board for this. And um, it's a reptile, so it's great. But basically, the gist of it is, you know, you go on snake calls. And I've included photos of the three snakes, uh, three of the four snakes that are the main concerns. This is the eastern king snake, uh, eastern chain king that you're looking at here. This is a species of special concern in New Jersey. Um, And then uh, this is the endangered timber rattlesnake. It's one of two venomous snakes that we have in New Jersey. Um, And uh, this is Mr. Happy. This is an ancient Uh, and when I I say ancient, because if you could see the rat is actually on top of him, that's the only way to get him to eat now because he's so old. Um, and he was hit by a car and he's missing part of his jaw and he also lost most of his tongue, but it regenerated a little bit. He's obviously in captivity and he is what New Jersey Fish and Wildlife uses to train us on a timber rattler. Um, and then the other snake that is of concern is the threatened Northern pine snake, and basically what we do is the, the primary concern is the timber rattler because we don't want humans to get injured. And we also don't want humans injuring the snake because unfortunately snakes still get a terrible rip, and, uh, people are always ready to kill them. So we go out on these calls when there's one in somebody's driveway or it's in somebody's garage or it went in a cabinet, uh, and we're trained to safely and humanely remove them from the situation and then release them. And, uh, We, you know, we have to a a great part of it, which is nice because it goes hand in hand with what I love to do through the turtle room and garden state tortoise and everything is education. And what we're doing is we are educating these folks that are so stuck in or, or were so stuck in an outdated way of thinking about snakes. They think snakes are there to hurt us. They still think that they're looking to kill us and bite us when they're actually controlling the animals that can possibly hurt us, you know, like like mice and rats with the diseases they carry and whatnot. Um, So it's really, really cool. I have been on a couple calls. Um, Unfortunately, I I am yet to go on a call with an actual timber rattler being present. We got one the other week uh, where it bit a dog. Um, It just barely bit the dog. The dog did not get envenomated, and it it came back from the hospital just fine. But the snake had gotten away before we got there. But um, we really, really meet a lot of interesting people on this. And the story I wanted to tell was... On Friday night, I got a phone call from from my supervisor at at Fish and Wildlife to head out on a snake call. And she said, look, I I don't want to disappoint you. It's definitely not a timber. It's definitely not a venomous snake. But it sounds like this snake is injured. So here it is. It's 9 o'clock at night. I've got to drive 40 minutes to where this snake is. And we're having my daughter's first birthday party Saturday morning. And everybody's (laughs) coming. Yeah. So I had to run out and do this. And um, it turned out to be a black racer that had got completely in... uh, tangled up in bird netting. Um, It was probably trying to eat chipmunks and the flies had laid eggs and every nook and cranny of the snake's scales. So I'm out there getting eaten alive by every insect you can imagine. And this woman, this elderly woman who lived at this house is proceeding to tell me that she is a animal uh, massage therapist uh, and that she massages skunks.
0: She was coming on to you.
1: Wilds, She was definitely coming up now. Wild, wild skunks. And I'm standing there and I've, I've got this snake trying not to get bit because black racers can inflict a painful bite, getting bit by everything else around me, trying to cut the snake out. And this woman is talking about all the different animals that she massages. So unfortunately, I never got to ask her, has a skunk ever sprayed her when she was trying to massage it? But uh, I did safely remove the snake. Unfortunately, he did not survive. Um, but uh, you know that, that that's my little story about that one. And it's an initiative that I'm I'm very happy to be proud of. New Jersey Fish and Wildlife is a group of folks that uh, a lot of fish and wildlife, a lot of fish and wildlife agencies. Could learn something very valuable from because they know what they're doing they know
0: how to do it it sounds like the funding and the and the effort is there which is Mm -hmm. which is all you could ask for from both ends.
1: yeah they're smart they're They're not they're not out to tell everybody don't do this don't do that leave it alone don't touch it they want the. they they want the knowledgeable folks helping out you know right
0: Mm -hmm. right anyway together everyone achieves more exactly as it were yeah so um my daughter's between my legs right now but i'm going to continue to try to Bring the show to, to a close here. Um, I, I can't thank you guys all enough for this. This was awesome. Um, it's my birthday on Friday. I feel like this was a nice little early birthday present to be able to have this hang out with you guys. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Just awesome. (laughs) Um, before we go, Dr. Green, any last thoughts about the world? Um, veterinary medicine being an amazing young professional that, all of our daughters could look up to any, any thoughts?
2: Um, well, thank you so much for having me here tonight. This was a huge honor. Um, I, I had a lot of fun. So, and I learned a lot about all of you. So thank you. Um, I would just say to pursue your dreams, um, be kind and, uh, never give up. So, yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and as, as a sign off, I'd just like to say, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who's into, reptiles turtles tortoises exotics like we all are here um i encourage you to find someone find find your dr green because that relationship can can mean the world for your animals and we all do this because we love the animals we want what's best for them and you can't do it without veterinary intervention i don't care if you have one pet turtle, eventually um, things are going to reach a point at some point where you can benefit, the animal can benefit from veterinary intervention. We're not saying you have to go in for your yearly checkups or your biannual checkups or anything like that. Um, But it's important to to have that in your back pocket and don't do what so many people do and make excuses, self-serving excuses to not do it. If you can't afford the veterinary care, it's probably not right to get the animal um, just something to think about. Um, yeah. So keep that in mind. And, um, yeah, Dr. Green, I can't thank you enough. So awesome to be able to, to kind of show you to the world. Um, not that, not that we're broadcasting to everyone, not that everyone's going to watch this, but, um, you know, to, to a different world. And if you're in the Connecticut area or even the Northeast, there are a lot of good, um, exotic vets, um who are who are willing to see your exotics and willing to learn with you and willing to teach you and work with you um and if you're in central connecticut area dr green is is top notch so um just something to keep in mind all Thanks, right anthony thank you thank you all right
3: yeah appreciate you guys show. I had an awesome time thank you so much
0: i think the whole neighborhood thank knows you. you had an awesome time kevin <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a, that was a, that was a old school that was a old school reference. okay Sorry, Kev, you're having trouble controlling the volume of your voice. Everyone noticed. Thank you, guys. Till next time. Good night. Good night.